ahead and get started. Since it's time, whoops, you guys snuck in on me. I had to get you the new pages. I wouldn't have told anybody. <laughs> you just come on in. Oh, yep. And one more coming down the aisle, all right? Here we are. Next four pages for your book. And I guess your mother's coming in, too. Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've still got several more here. Bonnie, would you give this to to Sarah when she comes in? Thank you. I guess that, um, what's his name? Um, how, what's that? Yeah, yeah, he can. I think I think she'll share with him. It's the baby. <laughs> All right, I left it down here. All right, well, welcome back. Or to Mike, welcome. <laughs> the first time, not welcome back. This is the second week of intro to New Testament Greek. And just to, as a refresher, we're not we're going to learn how to read Greek. Well, we'll learn how to read pronounced Greek, but not how to translate or do exegesis. This is just to understand how the Greek language works, because it's very much different from English. And we'll be making, as we look at the different parts of speech, we'll be making comparisons between how we use different parts of speech in English, and we'll carry that over to Greek and see where you know the differences are, because they are many. But that's the purpose of the class, is just to get familiar with it. And then we're hoping that when we finish this class, that perhaps we'll um, start a reader's group, and we will just plan on trying to do an inductive method of learning Greek by reading Greek. We'll use, there's a grammar that we can use that is set up that way, uh, the inductive method where you learn Greek by reading Greek. And I thought maybe we'd meet for like an hour. I don't know when. We haven't talked about this particulars yet. Uh, we'll have to see what the interest is, how many people are interested. It's, it's going to be a whole lot easier to coordinate with one person or, you know, <laughs> as opposed to 10. Or I don't know how it'll turn out. But um, figuring probably about an hour meeting and spend the first half hour reading through the grammar to learn Greek from there, but then actually read through uh, one of John's books, either the Gospel according to John or First, Second, Third John, something like that. And uh, just because John's pretty easy. And, uh, and we just work through it that way. So anyway, that's kind of where we're he- planning on heading. We're also planning on, um, or we're looking at, in January, starting an intro to Hebrew. Now, this is the fourth time I've taught an intro to Greek, but I've never taught an intro to Hebrew before. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. So second week, congratulations, you came back. <laughs> That's good. That shows that you're interested in learning more about the Bible, learning more how to understand God's word better. And the good news is you're halfway through all the hard memorization, the alphabet, and then we have some pronunciation rules today. And then after that, it's pretty much just sit through the class, and you feel free to remember everything that you can, but as far as what's really required, because we're going to be reading Greek in these sessions starting next week. And so 
um, if you want to participate with everybody, it's, it behooves you to learn the alphabet and learn the pronunciation rules. So uh, after that, next week, we'll start in with parts of speech, doing just what I said uh, a little bit ago. So you're through most of the hard part. Uh, remember, if you kind of sort of try, then you kind of sort of get results. So it's just helpful if you could really, you know, get in on it and really, you know, work hard on the alphabet and get it. And it'd really be good if you get the capital letters too. But if you're just starting to memorize, start with the lowercase letters. So today we're going to look at a review of the alphabet. Then we're going to look at introduction to vowels, diphthongs, diuresis, Iota subscript, breathing marks, accents, punctuation, apostrophe, and syllabification. This looks like a whole bunch of stuff, but actually there's very, very little to memorize. I don't want you to just go, oh, you're killing me. No, it's not that bad. Um, you'll see as we go through it. There's really not that much you have to remember. But those are the things we're going to look at tonight. So first thing we're going to do, let's go through and review the alphabet. I'm going to point to the lowercase uh, letters. Uh, they're also on page three, I think it is, uh, with your, in your notes. Uh, let's just go through it. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi, rho, sigma. And sigma's got a in the middle of a word, it looks like, or the beginning of a word, or middle of a word, it looks like this. If it's the last letter of a word, it looks like that. So sigma, tau, upsilon, phi, chi, psi, omega. That's good. Now let's take away the words, and we'll just go looking at the letters themselves. We'll do it again. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, Xi, Omicron, P, Rho, Sigma, and that's final form Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega. All right, that's went well. Sounds like you're doing it well. Okay, thought this might be kind of fun. Before we start complaining about Greek word pronunciations, yes, English can be weird. However, it can be understood, though, through tough, thorough thought. <laughs> now, do we have do we have pronunciation issues in English? Certainly, we do. We have lots of issues in English. For every rule, I'm sure there are exceptions, and in some cases, a lot of exceptions. And so, uh, just thought I'd put things in perspective before we look at Greek pronunciations. All right, last week we had mentioned this, but we didn't look at any examples. But since today is devoted to pronunciations, whenever you have two gammas in a row or a gamma that precedes a kappa, xi, or chi, the first gamma has a ng sound, ng, ng. Uh, and then the second gamma actually does still have the g sound, which is not like j. It's not like jif. It's... Uh, G, as in girl. That's a hard G. So, in this case, this is angelos. Now, that's an accent mark and a breathing mark. We're going to talk more about that later. The emphasis is here, though. Ang, and then they have galos. Angelos. Angelos means messenger or angel. 
It's funny that uh, in English we have a special word for heavenly messengers, but in Greek and Hebrew, malach in Hebrew, uh, it's uh, it just means messenger. There's no special word for heavenly ones, uh, unless you're talking about the cherubim or the seraphim. The cher- cher- we say cherubim, but cherubim and cherubim. But anyway, uh, in both the languages, it's, it's just the word. Fact is, you don't, well, I should save that for the Hebrew class. That's just Hebrew. Let's keep on going on Greek. So the next one. Notice there's a lot of similarity here. There's the alpha. Here's two gammas in a row. And then we have the epsilon and lambda. Lambda. That said lamed. And I do that. I don't know why, especially on lambda, I will say lamed. And lama is the Hebrew alphabet. So if I say that, I'm I'm sorry. That's why I stumbled there. I didn't want to say. I want to make sure I said the right one. So lambda. So there's some similarity here. Well, this is euangelion. You ang, and it's in in G sound here. Euangelion. So pronounce the G there, gelion. And it's uh, literally it would be you is good, and then angelion is message. So it's the good message, or the good news, so or gospel. Oh, and also the how, how often it's used out here at the side too. So. Euangelion. Then this one, again, it's, this time it's not two gammas in a row. It's a gamma kappa. And, but the first one, the, the, the gamma, is still going to be the NG sound. So this is sung koinonas. Sung koinonas. Um, so it's just the NG sound, even though it's with a kappa. And that's, you might be familiar with the word koinonia, which is fellowship or having things in common. Or actually, we talked about New Testament Greek being koine Greek. That's common Greek. Those, all, those, those words are uh, similar. And so uh, soon is a preposition that means with. So this is like fellowship with. But, it, but the way the word is used is usually a co-participant or a co-partner or, or a fellow or something like that. So anyway, you have the NG and then the kappa, sung koinon nos. And then we have down here the gamma with a chi. So this is splang chnan, splang nan, splang chnan, all right? Splang nan. It means entrails, guts. Uh, metaphorically, it means affection. And so... It's uh, in fact, entrails is just uh, kind of a nice word. There's other words that uh, <laughs> bowels, whatever it's <laughs> uh, when you're referring to affection in the sense of my bowels, that gives a whole new perspective when you move me, baby. So, you know, <laughs> but you might notice here that uh, we would get the word spleen from this. Okay. And then similar, similarly, in this one, we have a gamma xi. So this is nx. So this is larunx, lar, larunx. And that means throat. And guess what we get from that? Larynx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but that's only used one time in the Bible. But these are just some examples of when you have a gamma with one of these letters and can get the feel for this. Sound okay. Now for vowels, 
This is real easy. You know the English ones, right? A-E-I-O-U, right? Just sometimes. <laughs> A-E-I-O-U. Well, it's kind of basically the same for Greek. Here's alpha, iota, upsilon. But when it comes to E, we have two E vowels. We have epsilon, which is short, and it's always short. We have eta, which is long, and it's always long. And we have two O vowels. So we have omicron, which is always short. We have omega, which is always long. The alpha, the iota, and upsilon can become long, but they're mostly most of the time they're short. So we can see A, E, I, O, U. It's just, that's what I was saying earlier, don't get um, feeling like it's too much uh, to memorize. It's real easy if you just apply what you already know from English to it. Um, and just, all you have to remember, you have two E vowels and two O vowels, a short and a long. Any questions? All right. This one is one that you have to memorize. This will take a little effort. Um, I put this right up there next to the alphabet as far as um, need for memorization. There's, there are diphthongs. Diphthongs are a combination of two vowels that together produce one unique sound, unlike the sound, original sounds of the vowels. We do this exact same thing in English, and that's why if you re remember these with the help of the helping words, I think that this will be a whole lot easier. If you can remember, I is in aisle, or ow is in sauerkraut. If you can re remember it that way, it'll help you to uh, learn the diphthongs. Okay? The second letter is always either an iota or an upsilon. Okay? So we have alpha, iota together, but that's I is in aisle. We have an A and an I together, and we have the exact same thing in English. Uh, we have an epsilon, iota. We have the exact same thing with an EI in weight or even just eight, if you, however you want to remember it. Uh, eight puts it at the first of the word like aisle, AI. We got EI, GHT. So that works. For, and the same way here, you can just say oil instead of foil because that puts it up to the front of the word. But never, regardless of how you, uh, whichever one you want to use, we have Omicron, EOTA, and it's OI. So I, A, OI. And then we have hui, hui, as in sweet, upsilon, iota. And then we have, so all of these end with iota, and these all end with upsilon. Ow is in sour, kraut. We get double, double money on that one um, with two of the sounds. U as in feud, and u as in through. Not all those other words I had in the English example a couple of slides back. Just just through. Ooh is in through. So I is in aisle. A is in eight or weight. Oi is in foil or oil. We is in sweet. Ow is in sauerkraut. U is in feud. Ooh is in through. There are two other rare diphthongs. Au, which actually sounds pretty much like that. It's It doesn't really sound like feud. It's, it's like U is in feud. But, and then there's... Um, if you read classical Greek, you'll come across an omega upsilon, um, and it retains its individual sounds, uh, but you won't find it in the New Testament. And you don't find this one very often. You don't really have to even remember that one. These are the main, from the main ones to remember here, these seven. Okay? Any questions on those? These are important because they're used all over the place. We'll see them all over the place. 
Um, and this is all a part of pronunciation. So it's important to learn how to pronounce the words properly. And, and um, that way, if you're talking to somebody about it, you can understand one another. And it's good to know some of these names. Um, but this is an important one to memorize. But I think these helping words help a great deal. So, some examples. Uh, I is an aisle. We have a Greek word here, iro. We can see the diphthong I, and that's rho, so it's R sound, omega, iro. I lift and take away. Iro. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about these other marks in a little bit. A is an eight or weight, and there's actually a word A, and it means if. So, uh, But it's also, you'll find it in the middle of a lot of words, too. Oi is in oil. Oikia. Notice the accent mark over the iota. If you remember from your alphabet that the iota has two sounds, it'll either be like the first eye of intrigue or the second eye of intrigue. It's going to be I or E. And in this case, since it's got the accent mark, we'll talk about more about accent marks later, but oikia, house or home. Ow, as in sauerkraut. Autos. Autos means he, or sometimes it can be same, or we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into pronouns. It can be, um, depending upon what's, what else is around, it could be like self as in himself or the same, this guy, the same one did this. It's, uh, but most of the time it's going to be he, autos. U as in soup, ude, which would literally be no and and. So and not, although a lot of times it might be translated as nor, but uh, it's de is and or but. It's a conjunction and u. So and not, but ude. We, as in sweet, huios. Notice it's got this little mark up there. That's going to make an H sound. That's a rough breathing mark. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But huios is sun. Huios. Huios. We have the we sound there. And then you is in feud. You is in feud. Euthus. If you're reading Mark, you'll see that all over the time, all over the place. Uh, Mark uses the word immediately a lot. And so, you'll, oops, and so you'll see euthus uh, many times. So euthus and this euxanen means grow. Euxanen. So those are some examples of words that have diphthongs. There's, they're all over the place, though. It's not hard. Now, sometimes you have two vowels put together, and it's not a diphthong. They're not pronounced together they're pronounced separately and that's indicated by this diaresis just like that we have i but with the diaresis the two little dots above it that means well diaresis comes from i'll go skip down to the bottom of the page here diaresis means distinction diversity variety and so this is a distinction mark and, and uh, this is used in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. That's the only verse that has this, or verses that have this, and it's used three times there. So we'll find, we find a lot in names. So we have mo u seis. You don't try to put those two together. Just mo u, got two dots there. That's the, the erisus. 
Moses, and that's Moses, Moshe, in Hebrew, Moshe. Uh, there is no SH sound in Greek, and so any name like Moshe, where you have an SH sound, that gets converted to an S in Greek, and it also has to be changed to fit Greek grammatical rules. Um, so it comes out differently. Mousais, okay? This is ace and not ios. It's got a, two little dots above it. So this is ace aios, and it's Isaiah. Ace aios, uh, which I don't know. That's just what you get when you take, take something from one, a name from one language and put it in another. Because in Hebrew, he's Yeshayahu. <laughs> but anyway, in Greek, when you see Isaiah, it's just like this. Aeos. Then Caiaphas is not Caiaphas. It's got the two little dots right there. That's the diarasis. He's Caiaphas. And it's not always just names. Uh, here's pro, proe, which means morning or early morning. Dawn, proe. And uh, it's got uh, the diarasis up there too. Any questions on that? Diarasis just means pronounce these two vowels not together but separately. Iota subscript. Iota subscripts are sometimes called improper diphthongs. Uh, the main thing to remember is you don't pronounce the iota. You have alpha with the iota underneath it, eta with the iota underneath it, omega with the iota underneath it, but you don't pronounce the iota underneath. And that's really, really helpful when you're trying to determine, like, let's say you're looking at nouns and it has an iota subscript. Well, it might be, of course, you're not going to get this. We'll talk about nouns in a couple of weeks. Um, but it could be a dative case noun, and that's one of the identifiers of a singular uh, dative case noun. So you'll see these, but you don't pronounce it. That's still a, that's still a, that's still o. It's not ie or a or oe or something like that. You just don't. That's the closest thing we have in Greek to a silent letter. The, I, the iota subscript is never pronounced. It is, however, a normal part of the spelling of the world, uh, word. The eta and the omega are always long anyway, but when the alpha has an iota subscript, it becomes long. Here again, there's not much to memorize on this. Just know it and say, okay, if it's got a little iota under it, I don't have to pronounce it. That's really all you need. Because in this class, all we're trying to do is find out how Greek works. Well, that's how it works. If you see an iota subscript, you don't pronounce it. Okay? Breathing marks. I've talked about them a little bit already now. Um, every Greek word beginning with a vowel or a diphthong will have either a smooth breathing mark or a rough breathing mark. The smooth looks kind of like an apostrophe. It's got the curve to the right or a rough breathing mark. It's got the curve to the left and the right end has got the points. Smooth breathing marks do not affect the pronunciation. If you see a smooth breathing mark, you don't change anything. If you see a rough breathing mark, it has an H sound that would be at the beginning of the word before the initial vowel sound. Uh, I usually think of snowplow on this, not that this has anything to do with snowplow, but I've lived for 20, 
whatever, 24, 25 years up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we see a lot of snow. And that's exactly what the plow looks like on the front of the truck. <laughs> and so, and when that plow is going over the uh, asphalt and pushing the snow, it's rough. And so that's how, that's how I could tell rough, a rough breathing mark from a smooth breathing mark is by thinking, okay, this looks more like a snow plow. It's going, because we're reading left to right, just like English, left to right. And so that's going against the grain, as it were, and that's how I remember But This has an H sound. We'll look at some examples. In fact, we've seen some already. Let's go back a few slides. Um, there's a breathing mark there. That is a smooth breathing mark. So we don't say haste, aeos. We say, we, we just don't pronounce it at all. Ace, aeos. Uh, let's see. It was before. Whoops. Backwards. Yeah, here we go. Iro, when you have a diphthong, the breathing mark is over the second letter. So this is not hyro, it's iro, because that's a smooth breathing mark. This is a, not hey, because that's a smooth breathing mark. This is oikia, because it's not hoikia, because that's a smooth breathing mark. This is not hautos, but autos. There's no H sound, because it's got a smooth breathing mark. Smooth breathing mark. Here's a rough breathing mark right here. Huios, that's why we pronounce it huios. You put the H on the front of the we. We have the we from Upsilon uh, Iota, we as in sweet, but we have a rough breathing mark, so you put the H sound in front of it. Huios, huios. Okay? Now let's go back and look at those rules again, because I think I've probably mostly covered them. Words beginning with, uh, oh yeah, besides vowels and diphthongs, if a word begins with rho or upsilon, they always start with. Uh, a rough breathing mark. Breathing marks are written over the lowercase vowels. Breathing marks are written over the second vowel of a diphthong. Okay, let's just look at that. Written over the lowercase vowels. Here's the lowercase vowel. This is epsilon, and there's a smooth breathing mark, N. Okay? Breathing marks are written over the second vowel of a diphthong. Okay, here's epsilon iota, ace, so the smooth breathing mark is pronounced ace. Here's a rough breathing mark over epsilon iota sigma. They look almost exactly the same, except this is a rough breathing mark. This one's haste. Okay? We'll come back and look at those again. So the breathing marks over the, the lowercase vowels, if, they, if the word begins with a vowel. If the word begins with a diphthong, it's over the second vowel. Uh, words that begin with a row or upsilon always have a rough breathing mark. If a word begins with a vowel and it is an uppercase letter, the breathing mark will precede the first letter. So some examples. Here's ego, um, which is I. It's first person singular pronoun. Uh, smooth breathing mark, no H sound, just ego. But here's N. This is the first word in the gospel according to John. N-R-K, in the beginning. Well, the, the, there's no place to put the breathing mark above it because it's a capital letter or uppercase letter. But it's a smooth breathing mark, so it goes ahead of it. It's still pronounced N. And then the diphthong, here's hutos. It's a demonstrative, this. That's the near demonstrative. You have near, this, or far, that. And so this is a near demonstrative hutos. So we're the second letter. In a few cases, breathing marks change the meaning of the word. Yes, we have N means in, but if it's got a rough breathing, it's hen, and it means one, but it's a neuter one. We have uh, this 
we haven't talked about gender yet, but in Greek we have masculine, feminine, and neuter. But this would be the neuter version of one. Mia would be feminine. Um, ace means into, it's preposition, so it's in, preposition. Uh, ace means, in, it means to in the sense of into, uh, which is different than uh, this in is uh, just in. So if you had a box and it was inside it, it's in. It's in. Uh, if, if you're taking something and putting it into the box, that's ace. It's got uh, more of an into uh, view to it than in. However, there are times it's used. To, you know, it's not always used that way. Sometimes it's actually used mean in also. And then rough breathing on it. This is not ace, but hace. And it also is one, but it's the masculine version of the word one. Any questions on those? Yes. Uh, just to let you know, probably that it didn't get forgotten, or it—it it kind of becomes just part of the a part of the spelling of the word. Yeah, but you don't pronounce it right. You're welcome. Let's see, I think that was. Oops, went too far. Okay. So still breathing marks. Examples. Apostolos. You can say these with me. Apostolos. Apa. There's the accent mark, which we haven't talked about, but we will. Apostolos. means apostle. Uh, but we have a smooth breathing mark over the alpha, so it's just ah. But here's a rough breathing mark. We have huper. This is where we get... Our English derivative, hyper, but huper, huper. And it's a preposition, means on behalf of or in behalf of it or above, uh, which would be hyper, probably be from the above part of that uh, preposition. Uh, before an uppercase letter, this is Iesus, Iesus, that's Jesus, Iesus. Um, and here's the smooth breathing mark. It's not Hiesus, it's Iesus. I think when I do the class on Hebrew, we'll probably talk about how in the world did we get to the name Jesus. Whenever his name was Joshua in Hebrew, how did we get to Jesus? And I've got a whole set of slides that show the transition from Hebrew, the influence of Aramaic, then going into Greek, and then going into Latin, and then finally English. And that's how we got, that was the, the series of steps taken to get to the name Jesus in English. Because I think I mentioned last week, J is actually a pretty recent addition to the alphabet. It was invented in 1524, if I remember right, So, by an Italian. And he was trying to differentiate between two different I sounds. And uh, so we end up with J. So you can just know with 100% surety that God was never called Jehovah because J didn't exist before 1524. <laughs> he, uh, Yahweh is, is a better, you know better rendition of the of the word. We don't really know how it's supposed to be pronounced. But anyway, so that's the name Jesus in Greek, Jesus. Oh, and if you're reading like in if you're reading in Acts, you're reading in the new in the uh, King James the old King James ver no, no, not Acts. Hebrews. If you're reading in Hebrews in the old King James version, it says uh, if Jesus had given them rest. And it's because Joshua, 
when you bring Joshua over to Greek, it's Jesus. And so they brought it over. Jesus had given them rest. But it's actually referring to Joshua giving them rest um, uh, when they entered the promised land. And so uh, you find Joshua also rendered this way. That's, that's what happens when you take Joshua or Yeshua and bring that over to Greek. But anyway, that's the main thing here. We'll talk about that in Hebrew. I'll, I'll get those slides up in the Hebrew class. But right here, um, we just want to notice it's a smooth breathing mark, and so it's not hiesus, it's just e. Oh, and we have, we'll talk about syllabication here in a little bit. We have two vowels together, so they're pronounced separately, e-a-sus, e-a-sus. Okay, and then uh, over the second vowel of the diphthong, hutas. We did see that already. So that's breathing marks. That's important to remember, but it's not a great deal to remember. Accent marks. Here again, you don't have to learn the rules regarding accent marks. Uh, just know what they are. Just recognize them for what they are. No, that's the syllable I'm going to hit the hardest as I pronounce a word. Okay? Uh, but we'll talk about it. You don't have to memorize any of this. Just all you have to do is say, oh, I recognize that. That's a breathing mark. I mean, not a breathing mark. That's an accent mark. That's all there is that we have to remember in this class. That's why I'm saying there's not a whole lot to memorize today. The diphthongs, that's a big thing. Breathing marks, that's a big thing. So, accent marks. The notes are here in case an occasion arises. Okay, yeah. That's why there are some things in your notes that I don't really talk about a great deal. Um, but they're in your notes in case you're reading a commentary or something and somebody uses a grammatical term and you go, what in the world is that? Uh, you can go back and look, and most of these grammatical terms are going to be defined in your notes. Um, I thought about putting a slide in for proclitic and enclitic, which is there. That's words that don't have an accent mark. I thought, why do you guys need to know that? And I erased the slide. I took it back out because <laughs> you don't need to know that. <laughs> so um, the main thing is just to know where you put your uh Accent. Now, the accent marks originally indicated a pitch, and there are other some other languages in the world today that do this too. So you have uh, this um, acute accent mark that just looks like a kind of a slash coming down over the top, and um, then there's the grave accent, which is exactly the same, going the opposite direction. And sorry. Okay, I don't know French, but <laughs> uh, I'll take your word for it. But yeah, this it faces the other direction. Now, the way, this looks like grave, pronounced grave. But that to me, that's kind of like the rough breathing mark. So I just kind of picture that as a shovel when they're digging the grave. So that's how I remembered it when I was in Greek class. So we have acute, which goes this way. We have a grave that goes this way. And then circumflex, which is either usually a curve or it can look like a tilde where it goes like half of a, infinity symbol or something it kind of goes up down and up again uh you depends on the type set that the printer uses you know but you can see if if it goes down and up and uh or up down up well it looks like what they call a tilde that's kind of up on your keyboard that's up toward the top uh left hand side of your keyboard uh, it's still a circumflex. So it doesn't matter that you remember it's acute, grave, or circumflex. There's rules about those things, but the main thing is when you're looking at this, you go, te. Okay, when I get to te, that's the one I'm going to hit the hardest. So we have a smooth breathing mark, I, te, o, I, te, o. Okay, 
That's, how, that's all you have to remember. Just hit that one. Theos, not theos, it's theos. That's the one, that's the syllable you're going to hit the hardest. And then this does have a, a notice that it has a rough breathing mark, so it's going to be hog nose. So you know, hog nose. The accent is over here, so you're going to hit that one the hardest. Sometimes accent marks can actually change a word. If you see tis, it means who or what. It's, it's some kind of a question. Tis means who or what. Tis means anyone, a certain one. It's uh, vague. Okay. All right, before we go on to that, any questions on the accent marks? All you have to do is recognize the accent mark and hit that one when you're pronouncing it. That's all you guys need to know. And even if you go into first-year Greek, there's a lot of these rules about accents you don't need to know. Um, you'll work with them a little bit more, but you don't have to have all of them. If we were going to write Greek, then we would have to know all the rules. But we're not doing that. We're going to read it. So if they're already there. We don't have to figure out which one's supposed to go where. We just It's already there. We just read it. Uh, there are times, I mentioned the... Oh, no, go ahead. The bottom word? Tis? Uh, the reason I say e here and i here is because this one's accented. This is like intrigue. This is the first I of intrigue, i, and this is the second I of intrigue, e. Tis and tis. Yeah. And you will find words that don't have accent marks, and sometimes you'll even find words that have multiple accent marks. Or I should say a couple of accent marks. Uh, I was just I was reading in Luke just the other day, and I found one verse that had three of them in it. But it's and that's this proclitic, enclitic thing where some words don't have accents and are actually pronounced as if it's like one word with the word with two accent marks. It's actually, in fact, that's what it means. Proclitic is to lean forward, and uh, I think enclitic means to lean on or something like that. So it's it's um, it's sometimes you'll see multiple accent marks just. Do you have to understand all that? Nope. If you see an accent mark, just hit that syllable. If you get two two accent marks, then hit both of them <laughs> when you're pronouncing it. That's that's really all you have to remember on this. Okay, punctuation. Here again, this is not hard. There's only four punctuation marks in Greek, in the Greek New Testament. You have the period and the comma, and they look just like that. Nothing new to learn there. You guys can look at that and know it's a comma already. You know it's a period already. Uh, nothing new to learn there. Semicolon. Um, it looks like it could be a semicolon, but the comma part underneath got erased. If you just see this floating dot, it's a semicolon. That's not too hard to remember either. It's just half of the semicolon there. So that's pretty easy. The only one that you really have to apply any effort to to remember is the question mark, and it looks like a semicolon, just like that. So if you're looking at a sentence in Greek that's got one of these at the end of it, it's a question. Okay? So that's pretty easy. Apostrophe. Here again, it's just like English. It means there's a letter missing. We have the word don't in English, and the apostrophe marks the missing O. <clears throat> and usually it's just prepositions and conjunctions in Greek that you'll see this happen to. This doesn't happen all over the place or anything like that. Uh, apa is a preposition, 
And if the next word starts with a vowel, you don't, it's just easier if you don't finish with a vowel and then go right to another vowel. So they just lop it off, put the apostrophe on it, and you know that there's an Omicron supposed to be there. That's there instead of the Omicron. And then you go on to pronounce the next word. We do the same thing in English with A and an. We never say a apple. We say an apple because it's just easier to say rather than put those two vowels together. This is exactly the same thing. Um, technical term for this is elision. There's another word for that too. All um, more for something like that. Uh, I could be mistaken on that. Anyway, uh, mostly happens with some prepositions, conjunctions, not all words. You don't need to memorize this. It's just information. Understand it exists. If you're pronouncing it, if you're learning Greek to read it, um, you're going to have vocabulary. And you're going to remember, okay, that's a vocabulary word. A paw is a vocabulary word. I've got to remember that. And it means from. Um, but we're not memorizing vocabulary words. And when you're pronouncing it, right now we're just pronouncing words, right? Um, you come to op, it's just op, but that's what the apostrophe is for. It's a missing letter. Now we come to syllabification. Syllabification, syllabification, syllabification. So <laughs> where do you hit the word? And so uh, you need to pronounce the word, break it up in syllables, pronounce it correctly. If you speak English, I think most people here do. Uh, if you don't, you're going to have a hard time understanding anything I'm saying. But the Greek syllabification is very similar, and it's going to come pretty natural to you. It's not real hard. There are rules. We'll look at those. Um, if you're learning Greek words, you'll find the memorization comes easier if you pronounce them the same way. And the syllabification helps you to pronounce things the same way so that you can remember the word. If you pronounce it differently, how in the world can you remember what it means? Or how can you commit it to memory if you don't have it consistently there? So there are seven rules that can help us with it, but they're all pretty easy. Every Greek word has many syllables. It has as many syllables as it has vowels or diphthongs. Therefore, if there is one vowel or one diphthong, there's just one syllable. But it has one vowel or diphthong per syllable. So here we have lagos. We have the accent mark above it, lagos. So that's the one we hit. But two vowels. Omicron, Omicron. The rest of them are consonants. So it's two syllables, la, gas. Eirene, that means peace. So this is word. Um, Eirene, this means peace. We have a diphthong that counts as one, not two. Diphthong counts as one. We have an eta and an eta. So we have two vowels, one diphthong, three syllables. So just to kind of... Look at this. Here's one vowel, one vowel, one vowel, one vowel, one vowel. So one, two, three, four, five vowels, five syllables in a, k, ko, a, ka. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try that again. A, a, k, ka, amen. A, k, ka, amen. We have heard. Um, but that's an example of a vowel, per syllable, no diphthongs in that example. A single consonant by itself goes with the following vowel, and if the last letter is a consonant, it goes with the preceding vowel. Two consecutive vowels that do not form a diphthong are divided. So here we have an epsilon with a rough breathing, so there's a he, there's a break, 
O Ra Ka Men and the new on the end just gets added to the last you don't pronounce it separately. Heorakamen. Heorakamen. We have seen. Rule four. A consonant cluster that cannot be pronounced together is divided. And the flip side of that is a consonant cluster that can be pronounced together goes with the following vowel. So, M. Now, here's a consonant. Here's a consonant. P and Rho. Two con- but we can pronounce that pretty easily together. Per. M. Pra. Thin, improsthen. Then the accent mark is on over here. Smooth breathing, improsthen, improsthen. In front of. And then you probably know this one, Christos, Christos. These two go together easily, easily pronounced. Sigma tau, just like st, st. And this one on the end gets tacked into the last. Uh, behind the last vowel, and kri, kri, uh, goes together pretty well, too. So anyway, that's how that's divided. Rule number six, double consonants are divided. Here we have two rows in a row. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, not really. But anyway, pa, par, re, si, a, par, re, si, a. It means boldness. That's not parousia as in coming. Uh, two different words, but they're similar. Par-ra, par-re-si-a. Compound words are divided where joined. This is the Antichrist, Antichristos, that you would divide it where those two words come together. This is a preposition, and this is Christos. That's Christ or Messiah. And notice this doesn't have an accent, but this one does because they're put together. Antichristos. Okay, let's review the alphabet once more. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi, pro, sigma, sigma final form. Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega. Okay. Time for insights. What time is it? Okay, we have plenty of time. We're at um, 10 minutes here. Oh, it's clear down there. I was going to get my water. I'll just keep going. Last week we looked at Ooh which means no or not. And we looked at may, which also means new or not, no or not. They're both negatives. Um, but they, um, they have different rules. They're used in different ways. Uh, but last week we looked at times when they are actually used together, right in a row, ooh, may, uh, right in a row. And that is an emphatic, uh, no possible way. Uh, it... it, it um, it, it's basically there's there's just no possibility at all. No possibility at all. We looked at a number of examples. Today we want to look at them. They both mean no. They both have uh, rules about where they're supposed to be used. 
But tonight, what we want to look at is when they're used. Um, okay, there's the strongest possible negative in Greek. Um, we want to look at them in negative questions. Uh, this is outside of the dictates of the verb that the rules up here I've been talking about. Um, we've seen them used together, but when they're used in negative questions, they are used to indicate an expected answer. We ask questions like this in English often. Uh, if I said, you are not going to the store after class, are you? I'm expecting you to say no, right? If I said, you're going to the store after class, aren't you? You know that I'm expecting you to say yes. Now, ooh and may are used in negative questions for this exact same purpose. Ooh is actually probably the stronger negative, but when it's used in a negative question, it means they're expecting a yes answer. May, when it's used in a negative question, that's expecting no for an answer. And it helps us in our understanding. This is not always well communicated in translations. That's part of why I'm doing these insights at the end of the lessons, because the, 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 the translations we have are good, and they communicate what we need to know, just like with the ume. Well, you know, a lot of times we looked at it and it just said not. Well, that tells us what we needed to know. However, what we miss by not seeing it in Greek is the emphasis that goes behind it. That's what we looked at last week. Same way here, there's a... There are times that we see questions in the New Testament and the translations don't give us the benefit of this particular usage. And so we seem, it's, it's like, that's kind of a weird question to ask. And, you know, we'll look at some of these. Uh, but this is, everybody understands this, what I'm saying here about this is the way we do it in English. And, and this is, these two words are used the same way in Greek. Even though both words mean no in normal use, the negative questions there is an exception. When may is used, the negative answer is expected. When ooh is used, the affirmative answer is expected. Also note that ooh has different forms. Oh, these are the allomorphs. That's right. So that's like a and an. Uh, like we never use a before a vowel. We always use an. But if, it's, if the next word, next word starts with a consonant, well, then we use a. Well, ooh can be ooh, ook, or ook, depending upon what the next word starts with. If the word uh, starts with a consonant, it's ooh. If the next word starts with a vowel with a smooth breathing mark, it's ook. Excuse me. And if it's a, uh, the next word is a vowel with a rough breathing mark, it'll be ook. But they're all the same word. It's like a and an. They're used exactly the same way. It's just a matter of simplicity and pronunciation. All right. So the first examples we have here, John chapter 18 this is when Jesus was on trial and Peter was hanging out in the courtyard and they were asking him about whether he was a Galilean and if he was a disciple of Jesus or not. So that's the context for these questions. This is John 18, 17, 25, and 26. The questions posed to Peter. These quotations are in the New King James Version. And in the first two cases, the New King James in this at this place does convey that to us. It doesn't always, but in these Two first two questions it does. No is expected because may is used. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Okay, we can gather from that she's expecting a no answer, which I think is pretty sly on the part of Satan to bait Peter to just fall into that. You're not his disciple. Oh, no, no. You know, just because she's expecting a no answer. 
I think that's I think that's how it's used here. She's expecting a no answer. The King James Version doesn't help us here. Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? That almost sounds like a yes question to me, but but it's not. The Greek text is saying that it should be a there. She was expecting a no answer. The same thing in the next verse. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? We can see from that 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 is expecting a no answer. And again, the King James says it exactly the same way. And it sounds like it might be expecting a yes answer, or we don't even know if it's expecting an answer. They just are asking a question. And then the third time, yes is expected because uk is used. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Uh, I would rather they put something like, I saw you in the garden with him, didn't I? Now that's asking a, expecting a yes answer. Uh, the King James says, did not I see thee in the garden with him? So again, it's not really clear, maybe expecting a yes. But that is, those are probably the exception, not the rule. Many, many times we don't get that hint from the translation that they're expecting. To us, it's just a question. Well, that's okay. It is. But it's nice when we can look at the Greek text and see that there is a hint on how it's supposed to be used. Now, uh, ooh is used and yes is expected. Here, these are also New King James versions, Matthew 24, 2. Uh, we have a bonus. This has an ume in it also. So, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So this first one, I would rather they had translated something like, You see all these things, don't you? Because he's expecting a yes answer. They're the ones that showed him to him. Look at all these. Look at the temple building here. Look at all these precious stones. And, you know, they're, they're the ones showing him to him. But he, he says, you see all these things, don't you? I, I would have preferred something like that from them. Uh, it's not entirely clear that he's expecting a yes. And then the ume is right here. No possible way. No way, Jose, is there going to be one stone left on another. So that's a carryover from last week's insight. John 11:37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This is referring to Lazarus. Uh, they're going to uh, the tomb of Lazarus. He's already talked to Mary and Martha. And here again, I think they could have been clear if they said, well, this man who opened the eyes of the blind could have kept this man from dying too, couldn't he? I I would expect a yes answer. And, And that's how it was said. They were expecting a yes answer. Matthew 7 that was John 11:37. Matthew 7:22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Here again, it's clear if they would have said something like, Lord, Lord, we did, we prophesied in your name, didn't we? And cast out names, uh, cast out demons in your name, didn't we? And we did wonders in your name, didn't we? The people who are asking these questions of the Lord are all expecting the Lord to say, Yes, yeah, you did those things. And Jesus, but Jesus said, I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. Uh, pretty sobering thought. People who feel like they're serving God, but they are not uh, deceived. Okay, those were all ooh and yes expected. May is a negative expected. And we're going to compare a couple of translations here. We're going to look at, these are all New King James Version. Next slide, we're going to look at the King, uh, the, um, 
New American Standard. John 3, 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You go, Nicodemus, are you stupid? You're supposed to be the teacher of Israel. You're supposed to be, you're this great Pharisee. You're supposed to be really smart. That's a dumb question. Well, that's not fair to Nicodemus. We'll take a look at what Nick really said in the next slide. John 4:12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Again, in, in these questions, there's no indication of whether a yes or no is expected. And the last one on this for the New King James that we're looking at, John 4:29. Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Again, no indication that there's a yes or no expected. Now let's look at a different translation, New American Standard. John 3, these are exact same verses. John 3, 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Ah, good job, New American Standard. They actually indicated that Nicodemus was not seriously putting that on the table as an option. He wasn't really thinking that Jesus was saying anything like that. He was expecting a no answer. When we look at the Greek text, we can see it. And it so happens that, and you know, by and large, when it comes to negative questions, the New American does a pretty good job. They're pretty consistent. They're not entirely consistent, but they're pretty consistent. Um, so anyway, Nicodemus, in, in his favor, he was not putting that on the table as an option. He was expecting a no answer. John 4.12, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from himself and his own sons and cattle. This is the woman at the well. And, of course, she doesn't know who she's talking to uh, at this time. And so she's expecting a no answer. Now, is Jesus indeed greater than Jacob? Yes, Jesus is greater than Jacob. But in her mind, as she's speaking to him, she doesn't know that yet. And so she's expecting a negative answer. And then once she does find out who Jesus is, same, same context here. This is a Samaritan woman. She runs back into the, the, the village of the Samaritans and says, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She's expecting a no answer. Well, what happened there? Because it sure seemed like she, you know, Jesus told her, well, you know, you got, uh, you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband, which, by the way, means that Jesus does not approve of um, common law marriage. He said, the one you're with now is not your husband. Uh, so common law marriage is not a valid marriage in God's eyes. Jesus drew a distinction. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. Uh, okay, she's with him, but it's not. The common law is not good enough. You need to be married. That's free. No extra charge for that tonight. So what's the deal with this? Did she not believe? So after Jesus told her that and said, um, you had this many husbands and the one you're with is not your husband. And she says, sir, I see that I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she wants to engage him in a theological discussion. Uh, so she seems to be convinced that there's more to Jesus than just what her eyes could see there by, beside the well. Now, this, I think, was good thinking on her part. This is not the Christ. If she came in and said, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is the Messiah. And they're going, right. We know who you are. We know your reputation. Reputation. We know if the Messiah comes, he's going to come and see you. Ah, that's a laugh. But she doesn't do that. She says, and I think she realizes that. She says, is this is not the Christ, is it? She's asking a question. They go, well, I don't know. I think I'll go out and find out. And they did. 
They came out of the city, streamed down to Jesus, and they found out that he, that he is the, indeed the Messiah. And, um, and they even come back to her later and says, now we, we've heard him and we know that this guy is the savior of the world, not because you said so, but we've heard it ourselves. You know, they, they, uh, I don't know, they're toning her down or what, but the point is, this is the way she said it, but in a lot of translations, you have no indication that she's expecting a yes or no answer. But she was expecting a no answer, but I think it was just to pique their interest and it worked. They went out the city and now sometimes this can even have theological repercussions, ramifications. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 30. This is New King James Version. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Seven questions. Here's the New American Standard. And like I said, most of the time, New American in this way. Well, I'll talk about that in a little bit. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have uh, gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? It seems laborious, but they are communicating faithfully every single time that when Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, he was expecting a no answer every time. The word may is used here every single question. Seven questions, seven times. No, 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 no. Now, there are people who say that, well, uh, well, I think it was, I was listening to um, Kenneth Hagen, and I think he said something like, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. No. <laughs> the Bible says that not everybody speaks in tongues. That's not a gift. And I've heard other pastors say, well, everybody could speak in tongues. No. It's, it's no. Every single time, it's no. Um, I'm not saying that there can't be biblical tongues. Um, but it's um, not everybody has the same gifts. And so anyway, here's a case where you can say it's a uh, something of theological importance and and the answer every time is no. Now, here's some others. You don't have to write all these down. Um, here's some. Additional yes expecteds. This is not exhaustive. There are more, and you can write them down. But what I'm planning on doing, and I've already started doing this, is at the end of the notes, I started putting nothing from the insights have been a part of the notes up to this point, and now I'm putting in a kind of a summary. Excuse me, a summary of the insight, and I'm putting in all the scripture references. So you'll get this when we get to the end of the thing, uh, all nine weeks of the uh, class. I will have a list for you. So, um, and I can come back to this afterwards if you do want to write them down. It's okay. But eventually, in nine weeks, you'll have this. Or eight weeks. Eight weeks from now, you'll have it. So, when I'm comparing the New King James and the New American Standard, I just want you to know I'm not trashing the New King James because, in fact, there are readings in the New King James that I prefer over the New American Standard. So, I'm not picking on a translation. Uh, this, this, these particular verses show one of the strengths of the New American Standard Bible. Uh, what I am trying to show you is that translations may not always convey the nuance from the Greek text. Therefore, it is best to read from multiple translations in order to get a better picture of the meaning of the text in the original languages, or better yet, learn Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> That's the best way to get it. But 
you can get a better view if you read multiple translations. Because the problem about reading just one translation all the time, you get stuck in this mindset, and I and I even get this too. I get this mindset that this is the way it is. Now I read a different translation. I go, no, that's wrong because it's this way. That's I've been reading through the Bible year after year. I started doing that back in 1977. And I've gone through a number of different translations. And the reason I do that is is like this. I want I want to broaden my understanding of the scriptures when I'm reading it in English. I read from a number of different translations. And one time I remember reading one. I went, no, that's not right. And I went back to my New American. And yes, this is what the New American. And I thought, wait a minute, Bruce. I had to grab myself by the collar, shake myself three times real hard and slap my face and say, no. The reason you're doing this is because why did this guy pick a different, why did, or these translators pick a different meaning? And the reason for that, we might as well talk about that now, is that you might have, you might have a Greek word that has this meaning. This is the whole scope of the meaning of that word in that context. We have an English word. Very rarely do you have words that just line up like this. It doesn't usually happen between languages. I don't care what languages you're talking about. That just is a rare thing. Usually what you have is a word that, oh, it kind of mostly covers it. However, there's some things about the other word that aren't a part of this word, and there's baggage on this word that are not a part of this word. And so when you read multiple translations, they may use different words. It doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. What it means is, well, one guy may have had this Greek word, and he decided to go with this one. But another guy may have decided to go with a word that was this one or this one or this one. And so somehow between, if you read a number of different translations, sometimes you can begin to put together the more thoroughly the meaning of the Greek text behind the translation when you see it expressed different ways. I even read a British translation once, and it was it was still enlightening just because they... They speak English, but it's not the same English we have. <laughs> and if I could find an Australian or New Zealand translation, it would be the same way. They speak English, but it's not the same English that I normally speak. And so there would be an interesting, I go, oh, well, that's an interesting way to say that. And it's, it's just uh, enlightening. Is this my idea or has this been around for a while? St. Augustine said that a variety of translations is profitable for finding out the sense of the scriptures, okay? Where did that come from? This is a quote right here from the King James translators in the 1611 version. Now, some of the King James only people, one of the things they disdain, despise about the New King James Version is the New King James Version has marginal references, and if there's an alternate translation, they'll put that there, and they go, you know, that's just not right, that they have these alternate translations in the margin. Other translations do it too. Uh, not just the New King James, and but the King James only people say that what the King James says that's that's it. But what they don't understand is the original King James version that was printed back in 1611 did indeed have marginal references with alternate translations in it, put there deliberately by the readers, uh, delivered by the translators, and in their note to the readers they said, therefore, as Saint Augustine saith. That variety of translations is profitable for the finding out of the sense of the scriptures. So diversity of signification and sense in the margin where the, where the text is not so clear must needs do good. Yea, it is necessary as we are persuaded. They said it is absolutely necessary that we tell you what else this might possibly say or mean so that you can understand it. Um, 
they also said, I didn't put that on the screen here, but they said just as it would be wrong for us to take something that God has said certainly and we make it less certain, that's wrong. Just as in the same way, if God has said something that's not all that certain, it would be wrong for us to make it certain. So that's why it's good to look at numerous translations and get a better sense for um, for what the actual... If you don't learn Greek and Hebrew, that's the best thing. But if you don't learn Greek and Hebrew, then to look at multiple English translations is is uh, comes in second place. All right, one more time. <laughs> Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, Xi. Omicron, P, Rho, Sigma, Sigma final form, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega. We're still redo reviews, but I'll probably start mixing it up some. Oh, here's a good one. Let's do it again. <laughs> Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, Xi, Omicron, P, Rho, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega. All right. So homework. Continue to work on memorizing or reviewing the alphabet. Recognize, you don't have to memorize, but recognize the vowels. You know, just make sure that you're familiar with that. Uh, they're in your notes. Memorize the diphthongs. That's important. That's, this is important. That's bolded. This is important. That's bolded. Uh, use the English helping words to help you learn the diphthongs. Recognize the diaresis and the Iota subscript. Recognize the breathing marks. And, and it's important to pronounce the rough breathing mark because, as we saw, there are words that change depending upon whether it's a rough or a smooth breathing mark. That's part of the spelling. Recognize and stress the accented syllables. You don't have to memorize a bunch of stuff about the accents. Just see it and realize I'm going to hit this one hard. Punctuation, again, not a whole lot to memorize there. You already know two of them, the comma and the period. Uh, the colon just looks like you only need half of the colon or semicolon. Uh, the semicolon, what looks like a semicolon, is the question mark. Uh, recognize the apostrophe. There's something missing, just like English. I gave you a worksheet on page 8, and we'll go over that next week. And it's got the first section has transliteration, so you're actually going to change the Greek letters into English letters, and it's going to spell a word that you should recognize as long as I spell it right. And then the next sections have to do with just phonically, how you pronounce the Greek word the way it's supposed to be pronounced, and it'll sound like a real English word. Write the real English word in there. It's not a, it's not bringing it over letter by letter, but it'll it'll sound like it. So go through and work all those uh, out, and we'll go over it next week. Uh, become comfortable with syllabification and have fun with Greek. Have fun with the Greek alphabet. After you've worked on your homework page, you can write phonic notes in Greek letters. If anybody want to take a stab at this, it's got a smooth breathing mark. Eu, that's a diphthong, u, eu, can, write notes like this. <laughs> Send notes 
to Eeyore, not Eeyore. Good evening, if it is a good evening, which I doubt. Not Eeyore, your, this is a, that's the only way I can put here. Send notes to your spouse, ow, there's the diphthong, spouse, or, smooth breathing, or friends, the zeta is a DZ sound, zeta, send notes to, uh, to your spouse or your friends, there's a rough breathing Got an H sound. Who are learning? And here's NG and G. Learning Greek. It is like a secret code. <laughs> so you have fun with it. Once you memorize the alphabet and you're getting used to this and you're working on a worksheet and you go, well, this is kind of fun. Make up some of your own. Write them out. So, and that's it. I'm going to back this up to the. Uh, whoops, there are the other. The other references. Anybody have any questions?